Hello, my name is Katie and I am a publisher at The Tower this semester. And I'm here with Jeff, uh, who published the poem, Lo-Fi Hip-Hop Office. Hello. So, Lo-Fi Hip-Hop Office. First of all, what influenced you to write this poem? Yeah, so at the time, it was probably around September. So September 2019, I was working as an intern at a student group on campus and I was sitting in the office. Um, so they actually rented the space above the Buffalo Wild Wings in Stadium Village. So I was up above the B-dubs and I was just sitting there bored as all get out. And there's all this wonderful office imagery around me. And so I just started imagining things happening in the space around me. And I was really kind of captivated by just the kind of movements you can make just with imagination. You can move through a space just in your mind's eye. And that was what the poem basically is, is just moving around in that office space and then leaving the office space and longing for something, something else, just getting out of there, really. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely, like, when you read it, the sense of disembodiment, the part where it's, I fly over the streets of Minneapolis, definitely a feel of disembodiment. And I was going to say, that's the only time I've ever heard someone describe office space as beautiful. So um, where were you at, in your life when you created this? So right at that time, I had just moved out of my parents' basement. Um, the first year I'd gone to the U, I was a commuter student riding the light rail every day. And that was its own kind of cynical and depressing. And then moving out for the first time was a different kind of cynical and depressing. And uh, yeah, I just kind of like felt a little bit lost and disembodied. And so um, it's such a great word, disembodied. I really like using it. Um, <laughs> so I was just feeling a great sense of ennui and I was taking a poetry class and a poetry workshop and I was made the decision at the start of that to just not write any cynical or depressing poetry because I was just like, if I start doing that, it's just going to be the worst. It's going to be way too like navel gazy and self-indulgent and not be an actual reflection of the world because I'm basically in a place where like, I know that how I feel about everything is not really true. It's just my brain like feeling that way. So I made the distinct choice to try and express some kind of gratitude or sense of appreciation for my surroundings, even when I was just so done with everything. So that is kind of where I was at living in that juxtaposition between trying to explicitly write grateful and appreciative art while just not feeling like that at all. Right. That's fascinating because it's almost like a trope at this point of office suburban or urban hell but yeah your poem kind of changed that around and it was through that intention of being I like I like the word you used of gratitude yeah so I mean for the poetry class I was taking um like one of the the second book I think we read was Ross Gay's catalog of unabashed gratitude so I just had that zinging around in my mind the whole time right. that yeah. mentality I get that so just in general kind of going away from your specific poem, Lo-Fi Hip-Hop Office Space, what inspires you to create or to write? So many things inspire me, honestly. <laughs> you, you really do have to try and see what is there within all of the things, because everything has the potential to be 
a good idea or a good metaphor. It just kind of depends on what your perspective allows you to do with it, uh, which is a super vague and abstract way to say something. I, I don't know if I can explain it better right now. I need to find better words, but more specifically, just to get more like concrete, I can say like, I'm really inspired by Dave Chappelle, uh, the comedian. I talk about him like to way too many people and like, I'm like, Hey, have you, have you heard of Dave Chappelle? Have you, have you watched his specials? Um, Cause I just love the man. He's so brilliant. And I think one thing that he does that I want to do is he captures the feeling. He captures the feeling of a room and tells the room what they need to hear. He's got this prophetic voice or prophetic quality to him that I just, just gives me goosebumps every time I listen to his work. The Saturday after the uh, this most recent election, he hosted SNL again. He hosted SNL after the election in 2016 too. And so this time around, I think what like his audience was all of America basically because you know SNL is like one of the most popular sketch shows of all time. Yeah. And he, even without seeing who that is, he's able to like capture the feeling of a nation and speak to that directly from his perspective as a black comedian of you know like 30 some odd years and just at the end of that monologue he gives like this most incredible synthesis of ideas that i've just it just gave me goosebumps where he's talking about how he doesn't you know hate anybody he just hates the feeling of being a target you know he's coming at a place of extreme empathy where he's able to speak to what it feels like to be a police because of his experiences as a black man I was just so incredibly impressed with the prophetic quality of his standup. And that's kind of what I want to embody in my own poetry. I'm not there yet. I can't do that because I just haven't lived enough, but that's the direction I want to go in. I just want to speak truth to my audience. I did not know that about Dave Chappelle. That's really interesting that he was able to take like two things that were people see as totally opposite experiences and kind of like be like, well, here's a similarity between them. It's only Dave. Only Dave can do that. So has quarantine affected you creatively? I think quarantine has not affected me at all creatively because, hmm. um, I mean, there's two ways, I guess, I think quarantine would possibly affect my the way I write, which is, one, it could have made me want to write a lot more because I'm just inside all the time and I have all this time, right? But that's not really been the case. And... I like my process as a writer is that I just I write when I feel like I have something that I need to say or something that should be said. I read a book once, uh, Ordinary Genius. I can't remember who it's by. It's a book about poetry. It's prose on poetry. And in it, the author says, if you want to be good at poetry, you got to write poetry 30 minutes a day. Um, Like very prescriptive. Obviously, like she's not saying like, you can't be a great poet if you don't do that. But she's like, you got to practice. The point is you got to practice, right? And I think there's something to that. But I also don't want to be in the practice of writing poetry that I don't believe is good or that doesn't have something to say that other people should hear. There's two qualitatively different kinds of poetry that I write. There's poetry that I write to help me process events in my life. And that's never going to get published. And then I write poetry that I'm like, all right, this is something that I want that I think other people should see. One of my professors said something that I think is amazing. Um, Chris Biak, she's an excellent poet. You can look up her stuff on Amazon or just a bookstore, whatever. 
I only ever use Amazon. Uh, she was like, you know, being a writer is inherently arrogant because you have to believe that other people should read what you have to say. You have to believe your words have worth. When I write, I want to be making sure that if I'm writing for other people to see that I'm writing words that have worth and have value. And I can't do that all the time because I don't always have thoughts all the time. Sometimes I'm just like existing. If you're just existing, that's beautiful and awesome, but you probably don't have anything to say that's going to help other people. So I don't always have thoughts, so I don't always write, which means quarantine hasn't really affected me that much. I still just write when I have thoughts. The other thing that quarantine could have done is it could have given me more to write about because obviously it's totally affected how we live our lives and there's a lot to explore and there's a lot of thoughts to be had and good things to write about. I just don't want to write about it while I'm living it because it's going to color my perspective and that's not the kind of poetry that I want to write. I want to write very reflectively and I want to write very cautiously and I want to write very intentionally. Right now, I'm just like writing stuff that's like stream of conscious, like I fucking hate everything and I want to die, but I'm not going to publish that. They're the heart poems right now, which will hopefully lead to something that is constructive and has value later. Although I will say already some great art is coming out of quarantine because some people work faster than I do. I would highly recommend checking out the song F2020 by Avenue Beat. Mm. I've just been listening to that a lot. It's great. I love it. I'll have to put this on my phone because <laughs> that sounds interesting. Put yeah, there's lots of good art coming out of it. And, you know, working at the tower, we're getting like submissions of people who have been writing about this and like how politically charged things are. It's just like fascinating mm-hmm. to see all these, all these yeah. new topics come in. I can only imagine that the isolation quarantine has led to has really strongly contributed to like the extreme political polarization because you just can't get out and meet different people, which is like, if you can't do that and you can't talk to people face to face, you can't go to the bar and have a conversation that gets way out of hand. But at the end of it, everyone comes away with a different perspective. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You're going to be stuck in your social media bubble. It's true. It's true. It's so hard to like gain that personal understanding when you're not actually talking to people one-on-one. How often do you like have these thoughts that you just feel like have to be written and shared approximately? I know it's sporadic, but how sporadic are we talking? Well, actually it depends on a couple of things. It depends on what I'm reading and what I'm doing. So I've been working at a restaurant um, over the summer and into like right now. Um, <laughs> and I've been reading books about institutions and political life and community organization and there's a lot of thoughts happening. It's just not coalesced into anything. But basically what needs to happen is there needs to be a synthesis between what I'm living and what I'm reading. And there needs to be a combination between the two because what I'm living is going to be the imagery that exemplifies these thoughts that I'm having from these books. What I, what I want to be doing is embodying abstract ideas because that's just what I want to do with my poetry. I want to give breath and I want to give uh, motion and I want to give blood and heart to these things that feel abstract and weird and wacky. And, you know, like when people read a postmodern philosophy paper, you know, you read Roland Barthes or Jacques Derrida, you know, it's fucking wacky. Like you, you don't know what the hell you're reading. And so I guess what art does 
or what art can do is capable of what I want to do with my art is just embody that and make it so that people can, can see it, can touch it, can smell it, hear it, all the wonderful things with the senses. So these thoughts, they come when I have a synthesis between what I'm living and what I'm reading. And sometimes I'm not living very well and sometimes <laughs> I'm not reading very well. So I think it's hard to say how often it happens. I think it happened more when I was still in school because now that I'm out of school and I don't have to read good books, I could just read John Green, <laughs> not learn anything. So <laughs> it's been a little bit dry recently, but. Right. I've heard this idea that poetry specifically is distilled literature, super concentrated. Every word has meaning. And that seems kind of similar to what you're saying, where it's trying to like take these abstract concepts and just put them into something that's a little more palatable, I guess. Yeah, that's it. You're, you're taking this philosophical beer, <laughs> distilling it down into poetic whiskey. <laughs> that's yeah. a good analogy. Are you working on anything right now? I'm writing a detective novel. I, it's not at all anything what I've ever tried to write before, and it's not going very well. So we'll, <laughs> we'll find out what happens. A little outside of what you normally write? No, definitely. Um, so I was inspired because I was reading uh, Raphael Bob Waxberg's Someone Who Will Love You in All Your Damaged Glory, which is a collection of short stories. Raphael Bob Waxberg is the creator of BoJack Horseman, for those of you who watch the Netflix show. And it's an amazing collection of short stories. Like, it's got so much style. He has such a read on contemporary life that I just love. He, like, understands what it is to be an adult in 2020 well the book was published in 2019 but you know like he understands what it is to live in our contemporary times and like i've read other people that have written good descriptions into that before but he just does it with such style he's got flair like he ah it's it's so amazing and it's something that i miss in prose is the flair and style of poetry you know you listen to spoken word poets read to an audience there's so much power and force and it sends chills down your spine and you love it. And that just doesn't happen with prose as much. A lot of the stuff I find at like Barnes and Noble or whatever, just it's so boring and standard and there's just not any life to it. And Raphael Bob Waxberg, he's got life in his prose. And I was just like, wow, this is what I want to see more of this in the world. And so I was like, maybe I should write something. And so I've been trying to write prose and the problem I think is twofold. One, I don't really write prose a lot. So it's just a difficult genre to get a, like wrap my head around because I just don't have a lot of experience with it. And like what Ira Glass says, you need to write 500,000 terrible words before you can write one good word. I'm like, yeah, 12,000 into that 5,000 terrible words. Um, 500,000, I should say. So I'm just kind of there. And then the second thing is I'm a little bit too inspired by Raphael Bob Waxberg to the point where it's like, I just want to be Raphael Bob Waxberg, but I can't because he's him and I'm me. I maybe need to take a step back from that. What Miles Davis says that like, it took him years to learn how to play like himself. And so, yeah, that's maybe a little bit where I'm at in terms of prose. I feel like I found my poetic voice, but I haven't found my prose voice yet. I'm learning how to play like myself. Can you give us like a little like synopsis of the novel? Just like a brief, whatever you would read on the back jacket. Yeah. 
imagine four very shallow and vapid LA entrepreneurs creating their own detective agency because they're bored with their lives and then shenanigans ensues think it's always sunny in philadelphia except it's with la socialites and they got a detective agency and they think they're sherlock holmes that sounds interesting i like the idea i feel like the whole like comedy detective genre is really popular in television and so trying to do it in a novel prose form would be fun are you having fun writing it oh i'm having so much fun Part of it is like I, you know, coming from poetry, like I just have such a respect for image and like rhythm Mm -hmm. that I feel like when I write prose, it just it just flows. And I'm like, yeah, this is good. But the problem I have is more with narrative structure and character development more so than style. So I really love the style of writing in it. I'm really channeling that uh, hard boiled detective voice. I'm, I'm thinking like 1940s noir is just coming through except it's sun-drenched California. I dig it. I want to speak to something you said earlier. You said that you felt like your writing has a rhythm. And this leads me into my next question that I had written down, which was, what's the connection that you see between music and literature? Music and literature come from the same place. I might actually piss off some historians or like sociologists with this. I've not read any scholarship on this subject. I'm just going off of popular culture notions of the past. But like, you know, when literature was created, it was people singing songs about local heroes and legends around a campfire. It's it's the same thing. So like over time, like we've diverged. Music has become very specialized and sectioned off into its own thing. And you have, you know, all of these brilliant classical composers who are writing music with no lyrics at all. There's, there's still writing music about um, myths and folk tales and legends and uh, whatever, but there's no words. So it's all coming from the music itself, which is really beautiful. And I love that. And then, you know, poetry becomes separated from music, but obviously like all of the, classical poetry we think about is still metrical uh still rhyming you know sonnets shakespeare and spencer and all of those wonderful folks from england so obviously like music and literature have a very they have a shared grandparent and so you can see very like specifically with poetry you can see the traces you can see the little links of DNA, shared genes, I suppose you could say, within just how meter and rhyme are so important because it paces how fast you can say a poem. So in, in contemporary poetry, even more, we you know you use things like line breaks and weird punctuation to make the reader stop. You got to pace the reader because how you deliver a poem really does change the character of it. And so it's like a joke. If you ruin the timing of a joke, it's not going to work. If you ruin the timing of a poem, it's not going to work either. You're not going to feel the chills up and down your spine. So you use meter, you use rhyme, you use long lines, you use short lines to make sure that there's a steady tempo, that there's a pulse. You can feel the one on every line, you know, and that is mostly what I think about when I'm thinking about the connection between contemporary music and contemporary poetry and how they're linked together. That's what I think about. And so when I'm listening to music, I'm always trying to like capture the the flow of it, 
what what the rhythm is you know tap it out you know making sure i can keep track of the the first beat you know of every bar because i think having a strong internal sense of timing is really important to being able to write good poetry because good poetry is made in the delivery and the delivery is all timing it's a beautiful concept that they're so interrelated and i feel like when authors realize that or even if they just subconsciously realize that it just allows for a better reading experience not only in the spoken word but also in the written word what music influences your writing so you talk a little bit what was the song f f2020 f2020 by (laughs) avenue b that um gosh oh that's just such a fun song that's not really been inspiring me so much though that's more just been commiserating with me Mm When I'm listening to music, I mean, I'm listening to music at different times for different reasons. You know, music can be a shared experience with others and music can also be a time to reflect with your own thoughts and have your own kind of inner life be given a quality or like be given a body for your ears. So like if I'm listening to music in order to practice my artistic ability in a different sense like you know like part of like being a good artist is like if I want to be a good poet I read good poetry but also I want to participate in other kinds of art forms because there's all these metaphorical ways in which they will affect my own genre because all art kind of stems from the same impulse in any person so if I'm listening to art or if I'm listening, if I'm listening, if I'm listening to music in order to practice poetry, I'm usually listening to jazz. I'm listening to Miles Davis, probably <laughs> kind of blue is one of my favorite songs of all time. And it's so good. I also really like Charles Mingus. The album Mingus is phenomenal. I love it. What it is about jazz that really captures me is it's just that rhythm. It's, dripping with swagger from how it's delivered and again one of the key ways i think about the link between music and poetry is delivery how it's just the execution of it as a bounded art that is limited in time and space you know you can read a poem five different times in five different ways it's not going to be the same each time and what's changing between the you know each time is the delivery when i'm listening to jazz i'm trying to think about how do I deliver my poetry to the audience when I recorded lo-fi hip-hop office for the tower in what was that May where all all the poets read their poetry and all the short story people read their short stories um I was like right before I recorded that I was like really listening to just a lot of Miles Davis, just anything I could find on Spotify, which is the extent of my musical capabilities to research. (laughs) Um, But I was taking a jazz appreciation course right at the same time. So it was like really perfect, perfect timing for that to happen. But then also like I do appreciate good lyricists in contemporary pop and I don't really listen to balladeers that much. Um, Just Musical ballads don't interest me, but what does really interest me is rap. And then also, I really think Dua Lipa and Lizzo are super underrated in their just ability to write lines that are just 
amazing and phenomenal. You can just like study a lot of what they, a lot of the lines in their songs are just like brilliant. Just the way the sounds like play off each other. One of the best metaphors for the way words interact with each other in poetry that I've heard is someone called words and poetry reflecting sounds. All the words and you go into like even the bare like basics, like all the phonemes in a poem should just kind of bounce off each other in a pleasant way, you know. And the way Dua Lipa and Lizzo write, it's a masterclass in that really. Like I, it's kind of weird that they're like so damn consistently good. Probably because they have a lot of eyes on their songs too. I'm sure they have a lot of people like helping them, but I'm just always impressed. Writing is collaborative. I'm sure they have someone. But do you have any like specific examples, quotes from songs that you really, that really stand out to you? One of my favorite lines from any Lizzo song is from the song Soulmate. And it is... Uh, true love ain't some you can buy yourself true love finally happens when you buy yourself so if you buy yourself then go and buy yourself another round from the bottle on the higher shelf just the way that those lines flow into each other is like it's so good and the repeated usage of buy yourself that that happens with different meaning each time it's just i love that whole sequence it's so so damn good honestly I've written papers before about lyrics and songs just because they have that certain flow that goes with the rhythm and, you know. Honestly, it's true. Um, another, Well, this is bringing up a different song or a different artist, but it just came to my mind. I really love Lord. I think she's also a wonderful lyricist in a little bit of a different way. She doesn't have quite as much flow as Lizzo or Dua Lipa, but she's got really beautiful imagery. And just one of my like favorite lines is like, I think it's on homemade dynamite. We'll end up on the road threaded chrome in the broken glass sparkling. That's such a evocative image. There's so much incredible imagery just within Lord's music that, man, again, you could just take some of her lyrics and throw them on a Word document and it would just be the best poems ever. I can't speak highly enough. Uh, the last question, just to kind of wrap everything up. Do you have anything in your life that's a catch light for you? I've been getting into coffee roasting, which (laughs) I think is a really douchey thing to say, but it's true. There's so much to get wrong when you're roasting coffee that I think it keeps me humble um, because I've made a lot of bad cups of coffee in the last three weeks. And I think that's just fantastic, actually. I need to fail at things because I think you, you learn a lot about yourself through failure. So... Yeah, my catch light right now is being bad at roasting coffee. <laughs> as dumb as that sounds, it's just the first thing that came to my mind. I could probably think of other things, but that's just what. That's a good one. Yeah. Mine is like my dog or something. I feel like it's every person's catch light. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> my parents have a cat that I absolutely love. And whenever I go visit, I'm just like, I'm just a happy dude. I just chill on the couch with the cat. Mm-hmm. We are of the same mind, you know. Charlie and I, we just we just know what's happening. We're just going on the couch and we're going to sit down and we're, and we're not going to move. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining me. And uh, we'll see what's happening on the next Tower podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me.